Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. On the 24th of February this year, after months of posturing and aggression, Russia invaded Ukraine. Both the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and the attacks by the Ukrainian government on the people of the Donbass region must be condemned. There must be an immediate ceasefire by all parties, a withdrawal of Russian forces from Ukraine and a de-escalation of the conflict. This current conflict and the historically long contention between the US, NATO and Russia must not be allowed to escalate. The dangers of a misstep leading to the use of nuclear weapons are too great, as the dangers of widespread misery and death. Today's program is an interview between Frida Afari, Iranian socialist feminist and librarian based in California, with Ella Rossman, a feminist from Russia and a member of the coordinating group of feminist anti-war resistance. Ella, thank you for joining me for this conversation. Thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to join yeah, and to, to share what we're doing now. So my first question is the following. On February 27, a translation of the statement of the feminist anti-war resistance against Russia's invasion of Ukraine was published by Jacobin. Since Russia's latest invasion on February 24th, there have been many anti-war protests in various cities in Russia. Over 15,000 people have been arrested. The government has passed a law which criminalizes protests against the war and has further shut down any independent media. Can you say more about the anti-war protests inside Russia and the role of women? What is the history of the feminist anti-war resistance? What are its goals and vision? Do you have ties to Ukrainian feminists and to feminists in Belarus and Kazakhstan? where there were popular uprisings against authoritarian regimes in 2020 and 2022, earlier this year. And uh, what about other global ties? Thank you very much for these questions. Um, so to start with the protests, the anti-war protests in Russia, they are ongoing since the beginning of the war. So we have this kind of protests, demonstrations, pickets uh, every single day. And uh, it actually becomes more and more dangerous to protest against this war. Just a couple of um, examples. Uh, at the beginning of the war, the General Prosecutors Bureau announced that every single person who is supporting Ukraine now will be accused of uh, treason, uh, like the betrayal of the homeland. And this is like up to 20 years in prison in Russia. And then the government uh, established a new law uh, and this law says that if you're spreading information about the like fake information about the war in Ukraine, you can go to jail to like up to 15 years. So this like repressions are really harsh against those who try to spread information about this war or try to fight somehow to protest against this war. But people are still doing this. So we have this uh, um anti-war action every single day and as for the feminist anti-war resistance um, this is a group uh, which we created on the 25th of february just right after the war started um, 
the the structure of the group uh, um, is that we actually have only 10 people in coordinating group. And these are people who actually, I mean, I'm myself in feminist activism for eight years and uh, all the feminists, all the activists in the uh, coordinating group, we actually just worked together for a long time. We were making different projects, uh, supporting women, supporting vulnerable groups in Russia. So we just, you know, when we saw that this happened, uh, we decided that feminists, they need to fight this war and they need to um, to organize the anti-war uh, movement. Uh, because this war is also, it's like, it, it's, uh, it just destroys everything which we try to build. And I, I, I would talk a little bit more about this later, but it was just natural for, for us that feminists have to fight this war because otherwise there is no future for our movement inside of Russia or outside of Russia. So yeah, we made this organization and uh, we made a telegram channel for um, coordinating other feminist groups because uh, like just a little bit of context in Russia in 2010s, we had a, um, the feminist movement was growing. Uh, it was developing really fast. And by the beginning of the, this war, we had, I was, I counted this, uh, we had, uh, I was doing the feminist mapping. And uh, I think that we had more than 45 feminist groups in different cities uh, and towns. So our small coordinating group, we've made a telegram channel uh, and we started proposing different types of actions and sending, you know, messages, sending uh, information to the leaders of the small feminist groups all over Russia. And so, yeah, they just started joining our movement and they, in their small groups, they were deciding what kind of action they want to, uh, they want to launch, they want today uh, to do. Um, so yeah, this is our structure. And for now we have more than 30,000 people in our uh, coordinating social media. So, uh, and these are people from all over the, uh, the Russia, but also from abroad. We have Belarusian feminists who joined the movement and they made their own uh, anti-war group and we are coordinating and uh, collaborating with them. We have Ukrainian activists who are sending us uh, their stories and they just share information what is going on in Ukraine now. And we have a special rubric in our social media where we share these stories and uh, try to provide this information just to show what is really going on. I mean, not in Russian propaganda, but what, what is happening right now in Ukraine. So yeah, that's what we are doing. And I would say that we have now two main goals. First goal is to protest against the war and to uh, push the government and push, um, yeah, push the government to stop this campaign. And also um, as we have now many activists from all over the world who joined our movement, like from Switzerland, France, Italy, uh, the US. Um, we are, our goal is actually also to push other governments uh, to stop collaborating with Russia and to help Ukraine, you know, because if they would collaborate with Russia, if they would, I don't know, buy Russian oil and gas, this would, this would be continuing because this is how 
uh, this regime is getting their money. And the second, our goal is, of course, sharing information, distributing information about the war, because as you already mentioned, most of the independent media in Russia were blocked or destroyed. Since the beginning of the war, social media were blocked, like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And um, propaganda is really aggressive. You know, like they are saying terrible things, like, you know, there are Nazis in Ukraine, like we are trying to, like Russian troops, they are not fighting Ukrainians, they are fighting Nazis and so on and so on. So what we're trying to do, we try to distribute information, like the truth about what is going on. And we do it online, uh, through online campaigning. And also we do it, our members, our participants, they are doing it offline, like leaflets, posters. They just, you know, like printing the articles of independent media or translate the articles from independent media and put them into uh, post boxes um, like uh, in their cities. And also um, what is uh, also, we have this interesting idea. I think it's the activists from UFA proposed it. Uh, they are writing different anti-war slogans and different information about how many civilians died in Ukraine on the banknotes in circulation. So on, on cash. And then they just pay with this money and they go to public, you know, and this information is spreading. So we have different tools and we are like, I would say our participants are really creative uh, and they try to find more and more of these tools to spread information among Russian people. So yeah, this, uh, this is what we are doing now. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. On today's program, Frida Afari interviews Ella Rossman, a feminist from Russia and a member of the coordinating group of feminist anti-war resistance. They're discussing the anti-war movement in response to the conflict in Russia and Ukraine. That's wonderful. These are all really creative ways of resisting. And I'm so glad to hear about your connections to the Ukrainian and Belarusian uh, feminists as well. That's really vital. Um, So to follow through on this question of feminist solidarity, um, before his full-scale invasion of Ukraine, Putin in a press conference on Ukraine made a reference to the lyrics of a 1990s Russian song about raping a dead woman, meaning that Ukraine should accept the rape whether it takes likes it or not. Are Russian feminists reaching out to feminists and Me Too activists around the world and demanding support on the basis of opposition to Putin's misogyny? And related to that also, uh, if you could mention that as well, a uh, the Russian government arrested an African-American woman basketball player, Brittany Griner, uh, in early March, and she's still imprisoned. Are there any efforts by Russian progressives to publicize her arrest and demand her release? I, I think that would be a great expression of solidarity, too. Yeah, I agree. Actually, to be very honest, Russian um, opposition, they do not discuss this case that much. And I think this is a mistake. Uh, but I wanted just to say that I think this is very important to say that 
Putin's government is imperialistic and Putin's government is uh, like far right in a way. I wouldn't say that these people are really like believe in what they're trying to spread and what they're trying to promote in Russia because they are actually Soviet people, you know, they lived in the in the in a society where women were very, very active and uh, really participated in public life. But um, what they are trying to do, uh, they are trying to, uh, like Russian government, it's, it became one of the world centers of neoconservative turn. I would say that in Russia, inside of Russia, the neoconservative turn started like in 2010s, when, um, uh, when actually Russia uh, started to promote this idea of traditional values and the idea of traditional traditional values. Uh, it was promoted by the authorities, but also in Russian propaganda. And this is a very specific idea because it connects it connects the idea of sovereign Russia with the idea of a traditional Russian family with like many kids, with many generation living all together. And this all the sovereign Russia and the traditional Russian family was opposed to everything which is Western, LGBT, human rights, feminism, any kind of uh, struggle for human rights and like just anything like this. And the thing is that uh, any kind of influence, external influence in Russia started to be described as a danger to Russian way of life, independency and like all this, uh, all this uh, like all Russian families and so on. And uh, this time, this was the time when Russia stopped collaborating uh, with international organizations on gender issues. For example, uh, I think it's uh, uh, well known that Russian authorities, they refused to ratify the 2011 Istanbul Convention on, or like Council of Europe Convention on Preventing and Combating Violence Against Women and Domestic Violence. And then we had this whole pack of conservative laws, like the law which uh, uh, prohibits the promotion of non-traditional family values and relationships among minors and all these kind of laws, like restrictions on abortions. But what is funny is that like our government, it's opposed, like it, it, it tries to oppose any kind of external uh, influence on Russian society and on our values and so on. But at the same time, in 2010s, it started actually very actively collaborating with far right, with different neoconservative, ultra-conservative organizations in every single country of the world, and especially, for example, in the US. And they started using Russian money to promote, to like to support and to develop this kind of organizations and this kind of discourses, you know. So the, Russia became one of the centers of this. Uh, of this uh, neoconservative turn. And I think this makes Russia actually also the threat uh, for feminist movement or movement for the LGBT plus people's right all over the world, because Russia is trying not only to save Russian people from all these things, but also to, you know, save the whole world uh, from uh, this uh, like uh, non-traditional values. Yeah, so our government is, providing this misogyny, this far-right ideas, uh, helping uh, these organizations with their money. And at the same time, uh, it's spreading this imperialist idea, this imperialist vision, uh, 
of the world map because of course um i mean we didn't really have in russia when the soviet union uh the soviet regime fell we didn't really have the discussion about post-soviet as post-colonial or about uh, decolonization of any type of you know like like Soviet territories, it was it, there were some scholars or some intellectuals who were trying to make this discussion, but they were very marginalized. So still, uh, Russian people and of course Russian authorities they think of Russia as an empire, and they think of former Soviet Union republics as like not sovereign countries but the former territories of their empire which need to like to be uh, to they need to become russia russian territory again <laughs> and uh, some of them even like say i've i've heard like in propaganda there were discussions that actually their former so uh, the former eastern bloc uh, must also become russian or something like this so there are these ideas and they are unfortunately quite popular among russian people and I think that Russia also became the center of spreading this kind of ideas, this kind of vision that the, like there are empires and uh, this imperialistic uh, view on peoples, on countries, on nations, and so on and so on. So I think this uh, actually makes, uh, I think that it makes the Putin regime a threat to the whole world. And also, like women, to minorities, to ethnical minorities, to everybody, and that is why I think that uh, it is very important that we, feminists, uh, but also other political groups, uh, we need to we need to collaborate and like to fight this regime because it's it's really it's threatening us all. Yeah, that's a very very powerful point you're making that the misogyny and the racism and the imperialism and the capitalist authoritarianism they all go hand in hand and so uh, the, uh, Putin has become a symbol of, of all of that which brings me to my next question which is that um, um, Putin has been uh, promoting disinformation about all Ukrainians being Nazis in order to justify his brutal invasion. And although Ukraine has a far right movement, the majority of Ukrainians are opposed to Nazism and the far right. They, their president is a Jewish liberal, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. So um, how are Russian feminists battling this claim that the Russian state, uh, of the Russian state that this war is about denazification? And also, in, to further um, expand your, your earlier point, Putin is uh, revered by the extreme right around the world, ranging from the Christian white supremacists and ethno-nationalists like Donald Trump, Marine Le Pen, Jair Bolsonaro, to Hindu and Jewish nationalists like Narendra Modi and Bibi Netanyahu. He has also been an ally of murderous authoritarian regimes in the Middle East and Africa, ranging from Syria and Iran to Saudi Arabia and Sudan. How are Russian anti-war activists addressing these connections and the reality of the extreme right and white supremacy within Russia 
how are they creating connections to global struggles against racism and authoritarianism? Yeah, thank you for these questions. Uh, first of all, actually, this whole uh, this whole discourse, which Putin's government, Putin himself, and Putin's propaganda try to create that there are Nazis in Ukraine and they are trying to fight Nazis, it's so hypocritical. And you know, for many feminists, it's obviously hypocritical because. For many, many years, feminists in Russia, they were threatened by real Nazis, like Russian Nazis, you know, neo-Nazi group, uh, like just nationalistic groups. And they were really aggressive towards us. I mean, there are there are leaders of these uh, organizations and they can easily organize, you know, bullying of uh, of activists, they are publishing online our addresses, you know, our telephone numbers, our personal information. And I we're not sure how they get this information. We like sometimes this information is like it was not published anywhere. So we start thinking that they collaborate with, I don't know, police or something like this. So these groups are very active and it's kind of impossible to do something with them when they start bullying you, when they start publishing information about you you can't just go to police and say these people are like threatening me they like sending threats to me police will like it they will not react they will not they don't care about all this so there are real nazi aggressive nazi groups inside of russia but somehow putin his government police they don't care about these groups but they care that much about uh, Nazis, some like mythical Nazis in Ukraine. This is for us is just crazy. It's just a hypocrisy, and of course we don't believe that there are that there is a neo-Nazi government in Ukraine or something like this. Uh, it's just uh, it's just you know he uses this uh, this course because this is what uh, Russian people understand because we had this. Uh, uh, they are grandfathers, they are great grandparents, they were fighting Nazis during the Second World War, and it's still a thing with like, it's still a very important uh, historical event for for Russia. And if you say them that there are Nazis, and we're fighting Nazis again, this is something which they can really understand and maybe be like, sympathetic. So there's this idea yeah but we do understand that this is hypocritical and actually speaking about um speaking about uh, like the, the, this uh, hypocrisy a little bit more uh the thing is that we have one more than 190 peoples on the territory of russia you know different ethnic groups different peoples with their own traditions many different religions and so on and so on and the thing is that how our government is actually treated, like treating these people, is just terrible because there are many uh, representatives of these ethnic groups who were arrested, who were persecuted by the government because uh, uh, they were accused of separatism, you know, that they are like trying to make not just develop their own culture or just, you know, preserve the, their own culture traditions or anything like this but to separate from russia and to make this separatist movement or something like this and this uh, this i would say that in russia we have this terrible uh terrible uh, uh terrible uh, way how other government treat 
different peoples. And we have this terrible racism. Actually, there are many different like ethnic groups in Russia, but still in the Putin's constitution, it is written that Slavic Russians is the main state, uh, or like state organizing people, right? So we have this, we have this uh, discrimination of different ethnic groups. We have this racism and still Putin is fighting racism in Ukraine. For us, it's a terrible hypocrisy. And we will actually try to raise these questions about ethnic minorities in Russia, about racism in Russia for many, many years, you know. But uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, this discussion was not, nobody heard us, you know, in this in this matter. So, uh, but we are still trying. And of course, when we, uh, when we try to fight this war, we announce, we, we speak uh, about this war as an imperialistic war, as a uh, continuation of the in internal policy again uh, like uh, persecutions of different ethnic groups and uh, far right uh, far right policy of russia so yeah this is for us it's just it's just crazy and uh, we're trying to we're trying to disturb distribute alternative information about about you know what is really going on in ukraine and whom russian troops are fighting that was Frida Afari interviewing Ella Rossman, a feminist from Russia and a member of the coordinating group of feminist anti-war resistance. They were discussing the anti-war movement in response to the conflict in Russia and Ukraine. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally by the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Music for Accent of Women was written and produced by George Kunjeri. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.